you're making me think about hobbits. Have you watched that new Hobbit show that's got um, some very specific hobbits in it? Uh, no. The, the rings, the rings of sphincter, the the lords of buttholio. <laughs> I oh, really the- hated it at the beginning. Wow. The uh, Amazon I, thing? Yeah, rings of power. Oh, yeah, I don't like it. Well, let me tell you what was a real, real choice was to start out the first two episodes with mostly high elf politicking bullshit, Um, because there's nothing that gets your fucking dick hard like high elves standing among fantasy magical trees arguing about who gets to do what for the next 1,000 years. Yeah. Holy, holy (laughs) finoli. It was like a couple times whenever um, some elves said, okay. Mm-hmm. Which, <laughs> yeah, elves which, shouldn't say okay. The Civil War hasn't happened yet. It's not a thing. Yeah. Like, Americans have not ev- invented efficient language yet. <laughs> they I, should, instead, I couldn't do it. That, yeah, like, they, should, uh, they and, should say, like, okay, three, yeah, which means okilidokily. In yeah. fucking high elf, it it all built up to this thing where Mount Doom is just like started like a car. Uh huh. Well, I didn't. I, I didn't mind that. I, of all of the things that I minded, that was like, okay, it was. It was. Uh, it was I kind of liked that something fucking happened. You oh know, yeah, like, yeah. All right, there's a. It's a thing now. You know. Yeah. They did it. There are a couple things that were good. The guy. Is, we're gonna hit real hard. We're already in a hardcore spoiler spoiler land for Rings of Power, so you know, yeah. pl- plug your anuses if you don't want to hear them. Uh, but like uh, the the, the Urukai guy, and they did a fun thing with him where you're like, he's the worst, and then like, is he not the worst? Also, do I do yeah. I now like this guy? Now he's the o- yeah. now he's the only character in this show that said anything interesting. <laughs> and there are aspects of it that I liked. I, I can't believe I'm going to say this. I think maybe my favorite part was the dwarves. I think the dwarves are fucking phenomenal. Um, yeah. I, I, like, uh, I was really the the people that all the everybody that had, they had playing the dwarves, the depiction of the dwarf under mountain land, uh, the, yeah. the, the 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 makeup, the acting, all of it. And I'm usually fairly anti dwarf in my um, in my <laughs> generic fantasy portrayals. Because and your and, taxonomic fantasy racism. Yeah, exactly. Dwarves, <laughs> dwarves are usually a punchline for fair, like fairly good reason. But given yeah. given the things in this show, the dwarves are probably like the best. Um, yeah. Uh, some, the orcs were all right. The heavy reliance on just like um, you know steer skulls to cover up the 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 non makeup job that they did on a lot of those orcs was. Both yeah. are, it was a both it was both efficient and lazy, but some, yeah. some of the makeup <laughs> some of the makeup was good. The going with the like nine inch nails covered in flour, light dusty thing, as opposed to like the um, you know greasy uh, greasy Cockney sinew sinew thing yeah. from the from the movies was an interesting choice. Uh, yeah, I don't it's, know. well the the Lord of the Rings and all of the Middle Earth stuff has the same problem that Star Wars has, which is, like, um, there's not a lot of stuff for it. So whenever they do stuff, they, like, there's a lot of pressure 
Like, you better not fuck it up, because this is only <laughs> the fourth thing. Like, where Star Trek, whenever they made a bad Star Trek movie, it's like, you can always watch the 900 other things. Right, I see what you mean. But like, yeah, there is yeah a, Lord a, of the Rings and Star Wars is just, like, three other things, and it's you have yeah. those to compare to. There's a crisis, <laughs> yeah, there's a crisis of preciousness that comes both out of Star yeah. Wars and um, out of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, you're in a way, you're, yeah, that's me translating out of Gavinese for everyone else. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you're totally right, like, have you seen this Andor show? Because I had the, it's like the more, it's the modern Star Wars show. Have oh, you seen yeah, it? It's yeah, on yeah. Amazon. Um, I have Whatever heard the, about it. You have to watch it. It is amazing. Because okay. I didn't know fucking anything about it at all. I had, I, I am so checked <laughs> out of new Star Wars content that uh, it, it, it was yeah. like anything about it was totally white noise. But I like them. I like that main guy in it. And the vibe seemed more like um, what is it? Air Force One. What was the what was the good movie where D- Darth Vader kills everybody at the end? Um, squad. Oh, um, Re- Revenge of the Sith. Rogue One. Rogue One. Rogue, Rogue One. One. Air Force um, One. Oh, <laughs> Darth Vader, not well, Anakin. Darth yeah, 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 yeah. Real Darth Vader. None of that fucking yeah. lollipop bullshit. But the and, and, <laughs> well, I thought it kind of looks a little bit like Rogue One. Um, so we were looking for something to watch, and I just like without asking, just put it on with a, a, and, yeah. um, it really, really rewarded me. It's really, you know how okay. if you watch, um, Mandalorian, you get this vibe from the scenes that have Werner Herzog and the other like Lieutenant and general empirical guys where you're like, this is like a real thing happening. Like, this is like, yeah. this is like a yeah. real actual scene. And, yeah. No, like Caribbean water bunny is gonna jump out from the side and go wah, 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 yeah. and and just just fucking ruin my boner, right? Well, yeah, that, this that is prequel bullshit. Is every <laughs> single scene in Andor is like serious caper Jedi chicanery? Yeah. it's like it's like Good. it's like Star Wars Shadowruns or Star Wars heists. It, it's oh, cool. it, it's like. Everything that I didn't know that I was secretly wanting the whole time. I'm like, I don't want fucking yeah. more children and and action figures. I want more subterfuge and like strangling people to death and like critical dangerous situations. And that that's yeah, exactly no what this there's, gets. There's a couple Star Wars video games where you have to do like sneaky world exploration and see stuff that was like that's approved because LucasArts made the games so yeah like, for sure it's all real Star Wars stuff and it's all new and awesome like the um uh the Boba Fett video game had you like this was back in like 2005 uh-huh. like had you l- jumping around cities looking for bounties and stuff and there was just like a whole world to learn from and that was always exciting yeah, all of those, all of those like little muppets and critters and like gimmicks that pop out every second of every movie made since the the Clone Wars is yeah, like it ridiculous. Was, it, was, <laughs> it, it, it even more it it deepened even farther how much I hate the fucking casino planet that Finn gets 
shunted into in that movie where it's just like a series of ridiculous CGI like bullshit like comedy gags where I'm like why did we fucking ghettoize him in this stupid comic bullshit that is of zero consequence that completely vacuums anything interesting out of his like massive character arc to turn him into like this huge like rebel character who used to be empirical and not give him like some heavy shit to do. You could have done a casino world instead of make it about like fucking like space rhino racing and like weird. Yeah. It, uh, it's, it's all Carol ridiculous. Burnett gags. Like that whole thing is ridiculous. Actually, everything that Finn does is ridiculous. Like he came from, he came from like the Imperial background and he was upset that, like people were being killed and he was upset that his buddy died and then later he slaughters stormtroopers by the tens yeah, and, it's, and, and like it's not, celebrates it yeah and <laughs> and the the actor he's completely right about it in interviews is he totally he super gets the short end of the stick which sucks because he's really good you know what i mean those yeah. those first you know maybe five beats where he transitions and is like I can't do this anymore and goes rogue is like that's legit yeah. as fuck but then everything they do after with it, with him after that is is total nonsense it's complete schmuck yeah. it's, it has no it knows like, grounding oh, my, to anything. my new friend is dead my new friend is missing or dead uh, but like there's no evidence of him uh, uh, except for his jacket JJ Abrams oh my god <laughs> Yeah, I yeah, I mean, one of our ongoing themes in this show is that we would like to put J.J. Abrams in a large blender and drink him as a smoothie because the, he put him has, in a mystery box. <laughs> yeah, and, and <laughs> point to it for years and go, nobody knows whether J.J. Abrams is in there or not. I guess you'll yeah. find out next season. <laughs> wink, wink. Yeah. Like fucking eat my ass. All right, well, that was the longest Marin that we've done in a while. That was good. This is a me episode, which I don't usually say at the beginning, but welcome (laughs) to Oops All Monsters, the deadly unserious show about creatures, cryptids, and curiosities curated by two weirdos from Wild and West Virginia. That weirdo with me when he's not secretly jumping into oatmeal mascots at Outpost 31 in the most remote part of the frozen world is Gavin. And this 900-foot DJ with me is Hess. What the fuck is that a reference to? Or is it a 1,000-foot? Um, DJ Thousand Foot Jesus. Um, MC, MC, God damn it. MC. Oh, is it MC? I was trying to not, yeah, it's MC 900, 900 Foot Jesus. You were actually right. Yeah. An American yeah. rapper from Dallas, Texas. Thanks for, thanks. Glad we all know that now. <laughs> and we are here to, as we always are, delight to edify you with tales of mysterious monsters. From mythology, film, literature, TV, as well as gaming from the console and the tabletop and beyond. On a rotating basis, each of us brings a monster into the shop unknown to the other presenter and discusses their origins and implications for the benefit of you, dear readers at home. Quick reminder, check um, the Instagram at Oops All Monsters for visuals that augment your listening experience. Uh, and before we get to the monster itself, 
because it is a me, Gavin, uh, I, I assume that you have brought something for the segment that we like to call... Villain's Vocabulary. I do have a word. It's, um, <coughs> obdurate. Obdurate. Um, I think, obdurate. I think I know obdurate. Is obdurate, is obdurate related to obstinate, like difficult? Yeah, it is stubbornly refusing to change one's opinion or course of action, and it seems to imply that even though that person knows that they are wrong. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, it it's also it also seems to have like uh, a mil- military combat kind of like a fighting aspect to it, to where an enemy can obdurately. Uh, persist in like kind of like um, insurgents. Huh, okay, interesting. Would be obdurately difficult to fight. Yeah. Yeah, I'm having obviously I knew that word, but I don't know if I've ever once used it. Yeah. Obdurate. Um, I know I've never used obdurate, just, and I've I've known what it. Well, yeah, it's a weird word. Huh. Uh, yeah, stubbornly refusing to change what change one's opinion or course of action. Huh. Uh, yeah, I'm going to see if I can slide that one into the deck. I like that. That's good. All right, Gavin, imagine, if you will. Yes. You're a nine-year-old kid in Culver City, California, a suburb (laughs) on the southwest side of Los Angeles that grew up as a result of cheap land for studio lots. Your dad doesn't have a fancy job. He's only a janitor, so your backyard is tiny. But you only eat spam once a week, and you get to hear about the movie stars, so it ain't all that bad. It's September 1956. Fall doesn't hit in Southern California like in the rest of the country, so no leaf changes, no chill rolling through the hillsides like in the old haunted eastern towns. But the starting of the school year chimes in all those traditions anyway, because White people drag all their nonsense over from New England and Pennsylvania. All the orange (laughs) construction paper decorations, cauldrons and witches, and kids gossiping about what they're going to be for Halloween. Right now, you're in your room, finally putting the finishing touches on a Winchester rifle you've been building out of your erector set on the desk that is supposed to be for homework when your dad steps into your doorway a rumpled paper bag under his arm. He pulls his army-issue black glasses off and slides them into his front coverall pocket as he plants the bag on the middle of your perfectly made twin-size bed. Hey, Jimmy, I found something at work today. I thought it might uh, make a good mask for Halloween. You look at him, and then to the innocuous brown bag, baffled. This wasn't like your dad. He didn't talk about work, let alone bring it home as a present. Open it. His eyebrow vaults in amused anticipation, standing tall with the supreme confidence of a man that just pulled a famous sword out of a stone. And he leans on the door jam, picking dirt out from under his nails. You're always talking about how Teddy Valentine always has the scariest costume, but, um... This time I have a feeling you're going to outdo him, partner. You jump up and run over to the bag. You know Dad works at the real movies, the very scary movie house that makes Dracula and Frankenstein, but 
Of course, they wouldn't throw anything away, and not anything good, but yeah, you never know. You peel back the bag, and there it is in murky greens and blacks with pinhole eyes and painted layers of fins and rubbery mouth. The mask is recognizable instantly. You can already see yourself stalking around the streets of Culver, right down Venice Boulevard. Icky Amazonian water dripping from your savage claws. Staggering after the terrified girls in their witch and princess dresses. And even some of the teachers, the pretty ones, like Mrs. Mueller with her strong eyebrows and tartan skirts and baby doll smile. She'd run screaming down the street, looking for a cop, I bet, or the National Guard even. And the hands, well, thin hands, really, with long, jagged artificial claws. It's incredible. Teddy Valentine isn't going to be the scariest kid in Culver City this Halloween with his stupid old shoeshine kit widow's peak and food coloring Dracula blood. You're going to scare the whole damn town. You're going to scare the whole dang world. You're going to be the... <laughs> Gavin, do you have a guess as to what very classic monster I am um, indicating in this story? Oh, is it the creature from the... It is the creature from the motherfucking black motherfucking ass lagoon, aka Gilman. It's not a it's not a mask that possesses a kid. (laughs) No, it's no, no, no. It's not the mask for starring a ten year old. No. Um, Yeah. Okay. Somebody stop me. Um, But no, it is it is a straight (laughs) down the pipe original Universal nineteen fifties. Um, make a plastic model, wear the mask and scare your kids, rubber-suited Halloween 1950s, 60s, and 70s, motherfucking top-shelf monster, the creature from the Black Lagoon, a.k.a. Gill Man, is how he is actually referred in short. He is known as Gill Man, (laughs) Um, but that's going to be addressed more in the future. Um, Gavin, do you have, have you ever even, have you seen The Creature from the Black Lagoon from 1954 directed by Jack Arnold? You know what? I have not. You know, I hadn't either. And I I think it is a, a, it's a a feature (laughs) of it not being one of the three or four premier universal monster movies. It's not Dracula with Bela Lugosi. he's, He's the... Yeah, the creature of the Black Lagoon is always, like, he's with them, but he's always last picked. Yeah, and the thing is, the the, the issue is, at, at our generation, you really only experienced the creature from the Black Lagoon as a punchline. It was, it was so yeah. um, culturally secured that really only the negative aspects of it were slid into, you know, something like Animaniacs or... You know, uh, the the Brady yeah. Bunch as just a gag for how crazy it is that this dumb 1950s sci-fi thing <laughs> is a guy in a rubber suit, right? Yeah, there's a there's a robot chicken skit where all of the monsters have their own cereal and the, the creature Gilman wants to have his own cereal, so he makes the creature with the black macaroon. <laughs> yeah, I mean I kinda I kinda want black macaroons, <laughs> honestly. I would totally go for that. I mean, a little, little bit of like food coloring, you know, fin action going on there. I don't know, but um, th- there, there is just something. It, it's a, it's kind of similar to 
kind of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, where you have so many references to the original product that you don't you don't culturally yeah. need to consume it because it's been it's been lampooned yeah. and Looney Tunesified and brought up so many times that it's just a it's a wallpaper that's underneath another wallpaper that's underneath a paint job that you have to kind of actually bother to make an effort to uh, to do. But I wanted to hit something that was right down the middle of the lane. And I didn't want to go as hard as to, you know, we've been covering Frankenstein related topics a lot. Um, and yeah, you know, we, that's not on I, purpose. Yeah, I know. Well, it turns out that, <laughs> that Frankenstein and um, 10 men of various kinds have a very profound cultural impact. Um, and our biases cannot, you know, we we're just making a show one brick at a time. Yeah. But uh, I wanted to give myself homework, but I wanted to give myself not the most homework in the world. And for once, I actually fucking succeeded because I thought I, this was, I have this is the opposite experience that I usually have, where I was like, well, I, I want to do the creature from the Black Lagoon, but it's going to be a whole big ass damn thing. Turns out, I mean, yeah, it is culturally in that, it, you know, it's kind of a massive um, anchor dropped in the water and the waves coming off of it seem to be, you know, somewhat endless in its cultural impact, but it actually doesn't, it's not in a ton of stuff. There were, um, there were yeah. three, uh, creature from the black lagoon movies. Uh, there was the original one and then two sequels, uh, neither of which were uh, particularly beloved because they just seem to stray farther and farther and away away from the central aspects of the main movie. But let me give everybody, um, you know, and then it had various appearances on like shit by, you know, with Abbott and Costello and things like that. But um, the, let me give details about yeah. the original film. The original film was uh, black and white rated G from 1954. It's a hundred, uh, I'm sorry, it's an hour and 19 minutes. So it's, it's very consumable if you're just trying to knock it off a list of, you know, classic things. You know, and um, <laughs> it starts. It's a horror sci-fi movie directed by a guy named Jack Arnold, who had a very prolific career. He was a big uh, sci-fi head at the time. He his maybe his most um, appreciated film in terms of criti- you know critically acclaimed film is The Incredible Shrinking Man, with stars uh, one of the guys from this movie, Richard Denning. Have you ever seen The Incredible Shrinking Man, Gavin? Yes, that was an awesome movie, yeah. If I was to die, it would not be as a helpless insect in the jaws of the spider monster. The Incredible Shrinking Man is phenomenal, and it is like right in the dead center of these kind of concept sci-fi movies from the mid-50s. Uh, you know, like the, yeah. you know, the, the 500 foot woman or, you know, I, the, I, like, oh, no, big ass tarantulas and shit like that. And, and but but it was yeah. it was so good. And the, and the gag of basically he keeps getting smaller over time and you don't know how when it when his time is going to run out where he turns into a fucking atom or whatever the shit. But the, the way that they do it is they <laughs> yeah. just keep building these absurd props of, you know, eventually a matchstick is like 40 feet long, you know, and, and he has an epic yeah. battle with a mouse and a, an epic battle with a spider. And it, it is, it, yeah. it's such a good concept that is very 
well paced out and acted by Richard Denning that it, it, I don't care how yeah. prejudiced you are against black and white film and, and silly 1950s movies is the incredible shrinking man is just straight up good. I remember watching it on TV. Yeah, it is. Really I don't know good. when you watched it, but I think I must've watched it on like TNT or some shit when I was like, I like 14. Yeah, there, was, there was a period of time in the nineties where late night television would show these survival movies. Mm-hmm. And like, um, I was, I was just becoming a teenager and I always thought like, um, like the later that I stayed up, the more of an adult I was Yeah, yeah. survival movies coincided with me fighting to be awake. And I thought that was always awesome. Yeah. (laughs) It may have been a USA thing. I don't, I don't recall, but yeah, but yeah, there, and it did seem to be like a middle of the night thing where you would find these old creature features and and weird weird sci-fi yeah. dustbin movies where you're like this was a big movie like 25 years ago you know or 30 years ago yeah. the film at hand the creature from the black lagoon uh, it stars richard carlson julie adams and richard denning which are a trio of uh, scientists who are brought to the amazon by uh, a- another guy who finds a weird like a uh, claw hand bone sticking out of some uh, some odd stones. They keep just referring to geology as like rock science, which is confusing. But um, he dra- he drags them here because they're they ha- they are part of an institute that does ichthyology, which is uh, you know fish fish sti- fish science, and they they. Yeah. They float down the Amazon in front of a bunch of um, fake rear projected images on a, a little barge by a, a, a guy driven in. I think he's in a white guy in brown face, but he's got a funny name. So maybe they're just uh, like upping his upping his fake brownness and making him chew cigars in every scene. But they're 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 going to <laughs> look for the origin of this weird ass like hand claw thing. The, the bones the bones version of what obviously turns out to be um, Gilman the creature itself and um, yeah. what's very important is that there's three of them and that the two the two scientists are kind of having a, a kind of a soft love triangle triangle where both of them would like to have the attention of the the character. Uh, Kay Lawrence, played by the very comely Julie Adams, and I encourage you to look up pictures of Julie Adams because she kind of is giving, particularly in this film, she's kind of giving, I've described it, she's very good to look at, and that's not just a random aside (laughs) that I'm making, just like I sometimes do in the show, because it, it it ends up being central to both the concept and the cultural impact of the film, because the film largely explores a beauty and the beast version, except under the water in the Amazon of, of this story. Um, the film was actually inspired by a combination of things, the beauty and the beast and a story that, uh, one of the writers, uh, was told about a half fish, half man, uh, told to him at a party by Mexican cinematographer Gabriel Figueroa during the filming of Citizen Kane uh, back in the 40s. So that uh, culminates into rolling these, these things up where you have essentially this weird rubber-suited monster water man who comes out of the water and, and sees this 
gorgeous woman in her white one-piece 50s bikini doing these kind of like mermaid, uh, you know, moves in the, in the weird Amazonian river water. And um, it seems like he wants to kill everybody except he wants to steal the lady. And so the lady's appeal on screen, um, both to the monster and to the other protagonists of the film, uh, Dr. David Reed portrayed by Richard, Richard Carlson and Dr. Mark Williams portrayed by Richard Denning, who, as I mentioned, goes on to be the incredible shrinking man in another, um, Jack Arnold joint. I'm getting smaller, Lou, every day. That's silly, honey. People just don't get smaller. There's no medical precedent for what's happening to you. Uh, he, he, they, they, <laughs> they both kind of want her attention. Richard Denning as Mark Williams is kind of the businessman of the Fish Institute. And Richard Carlson is the more <laughs> hands-on, gritty, jumping into the river, wearing a scuba tank, doing it for science. Don't kill the monster if you don't have to. This specimen can teach us so much if we keep it alive. Yada, yada, yada. Like, you know, uh, a nicer guy. Yeah. And so yeah. through various machinations of being on this boat and then sometimes being in a camp, they are at various points stalked by this monster who is kind of intentionally not depicted as like evil or malevolent, but he does kind of incidentally go into camp and kill a lot of brown people over various uh, points. There are, there, there are basically no women in this movie <laughs> Other than Kay Lawrence, um, uh, by you know played by Julie Andrews, but he he kills a lot of low rent brown people or people in brown face playing brown people who get in his way. Um, <laughs> where he'll walk into camp and then he goes into a tent for no, some fucking unknown reason, and some guy's like, "Oh shit!" and throws a lantern at him and he kills him and his friend while they're um, shocked and petrified. And you see a lot of it through indirect uh, action and you see that, you know, the, the creature's claws, but not its face or its, its feet, but not its face. And uh, some things just generally I want to say about this movie are it has a lot of strengths. The, the acting is, um, I would call it, how would I say? I would call it shockingly plausible, um, you know, this is, a, <laughs> this is a genre that bottom out, bottoms out in really, uh, really terrible films where, uh, the, nothing is in focus. The camp, the, the people don't even know what the fuck their lines are. This movie is really the pinnacle of the goofy rubber suit, um, sci-fi action movie. Every single part of it is done to perfection. Um, just no, uh, th also there are, um, there are a lot of cultural ways that this movie, because of these really strong elements have major impact, you know, uh, uh, del Toro, Guillermo del Toro. He really wanted to do one of the 45 remakes of this film that were at some point in production. And instead, because of yeah. issues with the copyright and shit, did, um, you know, Shape of Water, which was uh, a much more prominent yeah. independent I'm style. Um, I want to have sex with the Fishman movie. Also, it's reported that this was the first film that Stephen King ever remembers watching, um, which I think is yeah. probably a pretty big ripple event in itself where uh, that's going to kind yeah. of kind of 
<laughs> warp out to culture in a in a, in a secondary set of you know uh, uh, watery uh, waves in the Amazon River of you know our general zeitgeist. But the the film is shot very well. There are some extremely highly lauded. Um, very difficult to shoot underwater sequences of both like Julie swimming, but also the main oh. scientific characters yeah. swimming. Um, the monster with the, you know, the, the man that plays the monster in the water swimming after her. There's a lot of fucking swimming around in very well lit, beautiful scenes. I watched the documentary on the show Sea Hunt, and um, pretty much all they talked about was how hard it was to film things underwater. Yeah, <laughs> even being near water is fucking difficult for shooting with my very limited experience. Yeah. Um, and I should mention this, uh, this, this, film is shot in two totally separate um, locations. They do a bunch of water shit in Florida um, around like, a, yeah. I think it's a river called Acosta, and then they shoot the rest of it on land. And because of that, the two uh, the two guys that actually depicted the gill man, the, the creature, um, there's a, there's a, a land uh, gill man and a water gill man, because they were totally separate and they didn't even meet <laughs> until at a convention 20 years later where they were both there to like speak and um Raquel, huh. I'm gonna I'm assuming this is kind of like a a Frenchy name is Raquel Browning played the gill man in the water when he's swimming and then Ben Chapman played him uh on land and they both had totally separate suits because the underwater suit had to be a lot more lightweight and so the the building of it was totally different and they, they ran a tube into the back of the head so he could breathe and just kind of like shot around it or shot, <laughs> you know, ran a tube through it in a, a different manner, depending on, you know, what the, the shot reco- um, required. But also he would, um, most of it, I don't think there was any tube there. There are many accounts of him regularly, uh, going down and holding his breath for four minutes. And he famously famously said, you can do four minutes if you're not doing very much, if you're just kind of standing there. Uh, but if you, yeah. you can't, if you're doing all of the stuff that they want you to do, swim, chase, interact with, you know, anything in the world, then two minutes is, you know, two to three minutes is max. And, uh, man, you love the old, yeah. you love the old, old Hollywood bullshit where you could just ask somebody to basically just go down in this goofy ass outfit. You won't be able to see anything. Just try not to die and then come up later. Like, yeah, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. cause four minutes is a fucking long time for the human brain to deprive itself of oxygen. Holy crap. Um, yes. look it up kids. Yes, it's a it long is. time. Try it yourself at home. No, don't. Uh, the point is don't do, no, don't. don't do that. But the don't. point is the people that professionally do it, they, it's, that's a long time. And, um, so the, 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 the goofy rubber suit benefits, you know, at the time I'm sure it, it was phenomenal looking, you know, if the thing is about an effect like yeah. that, you have to direct around it and light around it in a way that does its service as opposed to show it in its naked blank awkwardness. And the film does that very yeah. well by building tension, going with showing just the claw or showing it in the dark or showing it in the water. 
and having it come in from out of frame in a surprising way, adding the score, you know, it, the, the suit can do very little. You can, if you really try, move the mouth a little bit, what they do in the later half of the film. And he had kind of like a, a, a dealy bop he could squeeze onto to cause the the bladders that would be like on the uh, sides of the face to kind of like wiggle a little bit. And they, yeah. they did that in like one or two yeah. spots toward the end of the movie, but that's about it. You mostly, you're kind of Frankensteining around with no facial expression, just kind of like articulating with your weird, uh, creepy claws. And that's basically what you got. You've got yeah. the director making sure that that is scary enough. Thanks to the organization of the scene and the context and the score and otherwise, you're just some guy staggering around going like, I can't see shit. And um, hence why it is very lampoonable uh, in the future. Of, like, look at this guy. Uh, but it, but it is also the reason yeah. that it is the most famous example of the 1950s rubber suit man. Because it is actually quite good if you can swallow the um, kind of uh, production realities of the mid 1950s Hollywood because it's, it's very doable. Um, now I will say that the film is, um, kind of a, how would I say like, um, kind of a feminism slash racism one Oh one class rolled into one thing. It's like, you know, some, like some (laughs) agendered professor from New Hampshire ranting about the male gaze as one whole film where the lar- the, gr- the greater <laughs> aspect of the film, both on a meta and a micro level, are, is a bunch of examples of two white guys going into the Amazon to compete with a uh, indigenous half-man monster for the affections of a beautiful white lady in a white bikini. And that that is that is demonstrated in both subtle and extremely obvious ways. Like the first time that the 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 blonde guy, the the competing Dr. Mark Williams comes onto the deck to find Dr. David Reed um, canoodling with Julie Adams. Um, he comes up with the the captain from the bottom of the ship, and he's holding this colossal. Um, uh, harpoon gun that he's he just pulled out from below decks and uh, is in a frustration <laughs> upon seeing that he has uh, he has had dibs called on for the romantic interest turns and demonstrates the use of the harpoon into the thick oaken mast of the ship impaling it with his fancy uh, <laughs> fancy gun and that is um, probably only in the top ten of the most kind of like male gazy um, sexual competition uh, examples of it throughout the film. It's very much white guys uh, are running up the totem pole to figure out which one gets the pretty girl and uh, science will win over capitalism, which is why Richard, Dr. Richard Carlson, or I'm sorry, Dr. David Reed has to beat Dr. Richard Denning because in a way in the triangle of male competition between the monster, the capitalist, and the scientist. The monster and the capitalist have too similar a way of thinking and kill each other. There's some kind of like <laughs> paper, rock, scissors there that's like scientist versus scientist versus entrepreneur versus um, a black lagoon creature that I don't know how to play out, but somebody figure it out yeah. for us. <laughs> 
Dodd made you Einstein. But other than those, like, extremely 1950s storytelling through the lens of the most reasonable white man things, the film is just, it's just, uh, it's fun. It's just like, look at this guy. Oh, no, he's going to get us. Ah, the lady. Like, like you didn't, it's just, yeah. it's, it's just not hateable in it, like, basically any way. It's just, you can't, it's, if you, I, I think it's either not going to be your thing, like, I just have no interest in watching this, or you're going to watch it and go like, eh, yeah. you know, it's kind of slow, you know what I mean? But the, it's, but the, when the, when the yeah. scenes hit, you know, the characters make choices that kind of make sense. They're all likable. They're well acted. The world is fascinating. There are surprises. the The images, the imagery is very captivating and cool. The black and white photography is phenomenal. I should not, um, you know, I cannot for you know fail to mention that this was a three D gimmick movie back in the the period oh. where there were a series of black and white three D gimmick movies prior to the prior to the huh. red blue. Um, kind of like uh, image gimmick. Yeah. Essentially, they would do a version where the essentially the gray the gray scale was mitigated in a way that I can even as a person with like fairly extensive cinematic knowledge cannot really articulate to you because I don't properly understand it. But the gray scale was mitigated in a way yeah. where it was shot to cast 3D in the traditional 1950s you know 3D glasses way. And, but you won't, you don't notice that in the directing of the film. There's not a lot of stuff coming at you. I, they didn't embrace the kind of like Jason 3D thing where, you know, people are like, you know, the, the camera like dollies yeah. into a hot girl's butt while she's playing pool. And then the pool cue comes right at your face. And, you know, like Jason throws the machete right at you in the camera or anything like that. None of that. There's none of that weird ostentatious bullshit, yeah. like throwing shit at the camera crap. Um, but the, the film was at various times shown and re-shown in different versions of 3D, the traditional black and white version that it was shot in. And then later they did the, the red blue thing. And it's said that the, the 3D anime, the 3D part may or may not actually add anything to the film. I can't imagine watching it in 3D would actually give yeah. me anything other than to maybe, um, add a layer of immersion into the shots that are particularly cinematically satisfying, mostly the water stuff. Um, but I, I'm curious if anybody actually yeah. has experience watching it in, I'm not really interested in home TV versions, but if you've seen a, if you've seen a, you know, 35 film version that, where they gave you the glasses somehow and like a retrospective or some shit, I'd really like to hear about that because that sounds really fascinating. I have an observation here. Um, the Gill Man is uh, depicted. It seems like half the time with red lips and the other half of the time with yeah, just I green don't, lips. The, the are, red lips. It really looks like he's wearing kind of like Bugs Bunny playing a lady makeup. When I look at that, I um, yeah. the the color yeah. of the Gill Man. <laughs> can be um, so basically all of the the red lip stuff just happens in promos where they're not going to make a one sheet poster in black and white right they're going to have to give him yeah. they're going to get get an artist to do the rendering in color so you've got basically a green guy with some yellow accent and some bright red fucking lips you're like okay you do know a lot of like fish with bright red kissy mouth lips that look like the the fucking like <laughs> hot chick gremlin from Gremlins Two, like I don't, I don't think so. 
Um, <laughs> but you know, you your life, bro. You do do what you want. So I don't. The red lip thing, I think, is just kind of like, well, the Simpsons had yeah. to be a color, so they're they're yellow, I guess. Just kind of like arbitrary decision by somebody there, who didn't think about it that hard. There is there is actually uh, something called a red lipped batfish. It's oh a god! Of long funny words. Oh god! Yeah, Look at that. Oh. it looks nuts too. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. White. I don't even. Batfish. Fuck that thing. Oh god! <laughs> it looks like. It looks like if the. It's a little monster, isn't it? Yeah, it's a little <laughs> fucked up. It looks like it's disapproving of me, <laughs> and it seriously does look like it's wearing like, like hot lady. Uh, lipstick, like it just—it stole somebody's lipstick yeah. and is disappointed. It also with has like, it also has like, f- f- kind of feet. Yeah, kind of. It it's kind of, of got. Yeah, it's it kind sits of. It's like a modern art table. Yeah, or yeah, or like a um, yeah, like a pit bull that is definitely not going to let yeah. you any, go any farther into its master's yard. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, it looks like a cross between kind of a stingray, a pissed off old lady, and a and a. Um, a, and a, a table you could buy for seven hundred dollars on a um, Nordic <laughs> Nordic website. It's weird. Okay. Anyway, we cannot get lost anyway. in the red-lipped batfish of the Galapagos Islands. Uh, and <laughs> so the the in rea- there regarding I surprisingly regarding the the Gill Man, um, there is a bit of controversy as to what color he is. Because there is yeah. an often um, recited internet, you know, l- a listicle rumor that it was painted yellow so that th- he would reflect a lot of water while they were doing the under, the re- reflect lots of light during the underwater scenes. And it's yeah. told by the um, actual creators of the suits that that was just not true, that it was, it was kind of the, the murky, muddy green that you expected him to be. Um, is what is actually supposedly true. I should mention that as I sometimes do in my, um, imagine if you will, that story, although I have made up all of the like particulars is a true story where the, um, the costume was thrown away after the third film by universal studios and a janitor found it in the dumpster and yeah. took it home and gave it to his kid to wear as a Halloween costume. So I don't know what the fuck anybody's name was. I don't know if they lived in Culver City. But uh, uh, that the, the spine of that story actually happened. And then later, yeah. the, later they were bought by um, other I people. I think I knew that, yeah. I think I remember hearing about that. Like about just how how shit gets lost in Hollywood constantly. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a it's they don't. <laughs> They don't hold on to shit. It's just like, well, that's everything is disposable. And if you watch the um, if you watch the uh, the sequels, the depiction of the monster gets dumber and dumber every sequel. So I I don't really I have did notice that. Yeah, yeah. it be, it becomes Looking more. It, you, yeah, you start having like escape from the Planet of the Apes problem where it just becomes yeah. a lazier and lazier thing where you're just like, okay, well, this looks like a guy who just like had all of his points shaved off and he's been covered in Vaseline. Um, it's, it's not great. <laughs> I do want to mention that there is a piece of history that um, I'm sure other people that cover this topic have covered, but for decades and decades, um, Bud Westmore was the um, the guy who took all of the credit for the creation of the Gill Man costume and his 
uh, visage, but it was revealed um, a while back that the actual credit should go to Millicent Patrick because she's a lady (laughs) and she actually designed it. And um, Bud was um, famous, as Rick Baker has said on the... uh, Who's that guy that uh, like uh, talks about punching people and has a really good podcast that everybody listens to? Um, you know that little pugnacious guy, Joe Rogan. He was on Joe Rogan's show <laughs> and uh, talked about how um, Robert Evans. <laughs> uh, maybe a little bit of similarity. Have you ever seen Robert Evans and uh, Joe Rogan in the same place at the same time? I think not. <laughs> Where's the lie? Okay, so, um, but um, Rick Baker was on the Joe Rogan show for as much as I give a shit about that, that, um, little butt plug of a human being. And and he talked about how Bud Westmore was a big fan of casually taking credit for other people's work, standing in front of, uh, you know, props and prosthesis and, you know, um, analog costuming and giving a thumbs up to make sure that it was plausible that he could say that that was his thing in the future. And I am happy to believe Rick Baker uh, about anything Rick Baker has to say. So make sure it is clear you can find lovely photos of um, Millicent Patrick painting the uh, the Gilman costume that certainly uh, certainly goes along with the idea that she was the creator for it. And very frequently um, in Hollywood, it was very possible for a uh, rude, gregarious man to take all the credit for something for fucking decades for no particularly good reason except for self-aggrandizement. So make no mistake, we stand with Millicent Patrick as the uh, creator of one of the most iconic universal monsters in Gilman. Absolutely. Who who seems to wear... Uh, magnificent outfits while she's designing things. Yeah, that's one of the great things about the <laughs> 50s and most of the 60s is, you know, you see these pictures of these, um, you know, recently brought uh, more to prominence, you know, like computer program ladies and stuff, uh, and you see them, like, you know, standing next to a stack of 72 books of programming a NASA launch or, you know, programming a computer that's as big as 72 refrigerators while wearing, you know, like a a wool suit with, you know, like short hair and and that great black and white photography and just, like, working diligently. And you're like, all this history looks so much better than modern reality. Like, God, so fucking... (laughs) Modern reality looks so fucking stupid. You know, everybody... Everybody looks like they're trying to advertise for Mountain Dew Dumb. You know, like yeah, like yeah. Mountain Dew dumb now Everything's with now with strange. no sleeves. It's just yeah. like everybody looks so fucking good in the black and white era. I like Mountain Dew the old fashioned way. Fuck you, Granny. How dude? I should go into a block about what actually is Gilman. What can he do? He is a yeah. He what's is, Gilman? He is a fishy man. One of the most contradictory things about the film is it literally starts with a quote from the fucking Bible. About, yeah. um, you know, as these, you know, col- <laughs> colossal, um, voluminous clouds just like w- uh, unroyal, you know, in the camera lens talking about the creation of man and then goes into this these long shots of kind of hybrid amphibious human fishman feet on the beach that eventually, you know, and then this 
narration about how over the millions of years man has developed from these the primordial soup and turned into what he is and you know all yeah. setting the stage for imagining why that in the middle of the amazon jungle there would be a weird fish dude and and <laughs> what we eventually learn about the fish the the fish man the gill man the creature is that he's he's super strong um, and that is beefed up in the sequels more so than in the original film, but he's able to, you know, pull on the mechanics of the, you know, the ship that is fighting with him at various points in a way that is beyond human strength. Um, his constitution is extreme. He gets shot on a semi-regular basis in this movie without worrying about it that much until they shoot him like a whole bunch of times at the end. Spoiler alert. And then he yeah. falls into the water, never to be seen again, 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 until they make the two <laughs> until they make the two more movies where it is clear that he survived that without too much uh, sturm and drong. And um uh, and that's mostly it. And that he he's a swimmy guy. He can he he's a he's a fish guy that's very strong and hard to kill. Not that complex. He's not yeah. he's not reading minds. He's not shooting darts out of his butt. He's just a very difficult to kill weird fish dude. Um, so yeah. it's a very clean concept in that way. And um, Raquel Browning has I as I previously mentioned, who is the gill man in the water? Who, if you look him up, is an annoyingly handsome man. Um, he 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 compared the the original costume design in the first film to that of the Model T Ford in the sense that it, it certainly functioned, but you couldn't fucking do anything yeah. with it. I you kind of had a, you just kind of staggered around. You could see almost nothing, and you had a couple of rudimentary things you could do with the face, with the gills, with the mouth. But pretty much, you were just kind of like Frankensteining around, going like, "I'm dripping. I watch out. I'm so drippy." Uh, but it, it is. It, I mean, it is miraculous <laughs> that he could f- swim at all, and you will be shocked when you watch the film how swimmy he actually gets in it because he does. A, he does a lot of swimming. On a meta level, I also want to mention that I made an observation in watching the film that I was not expecting to make. That um, the that the Gill Man is actually extremely similar in a lot of ways to Michael Myers. And hear me out because. Yeah. Uh, until you watch the film, it's not super obvious, but both of them are silent, uh, essentially. The Gill Man kind of later on makes some kind of like sounds, which are not great. Um, territorial <laughs> and obsessed with a, one particular female character. And they're also depicted through the directorial use of first person's perspective, where it's kind of like very in in both Jason films and you know Friday the Thirteenth films and Halloween films, sometimes showing the perspective of the monster moving through reality in the the process of stalking their victim is such a stereotyped and you know, um, mocked aspect of the direction that it's easy to not take it as important or serious. But the, the, the Gill man in a way is very much like Michael Myers. It seems like you have somehow gone into his reality, uh, and that he's just obsessed with one thing. And if you just get the fuck out of that, that zone, you might be okay. And that he's, uh, for some reason, a relentless killer that cannot be stopped and has no interest in your hum- the human machinations of romance or p- 
politics or sh- getting shot six times or, or reason. Yeah, it's just it's it's a force of nature and very literally in the case of Gilman. But if you do any work into observing what is going on with Michael Myers, Michael Myers, he's not a, he's not a guy in a suit. Michael Myers is conceptually yeah. Michael Myers is a force. of Yeah, nature. he is yeah. a force of nature that it can also be described as um, a boogeyman. But both of those are completely 100% true. Where, you know, Jason is a guy. I know, I know that technically Michael Myers is this kid that turned into this character. But Jason is a guy, and then you can factually say yeah. all of these things Jason about Jason has him. rules and, like, personable things. Jason has a lot of, like, uh, different ways to interact with his being. And Michael Myers is just a force of nature. Yeah, I mean, a lot like, you know, I don't, I don't think you've seen Nope. But, um, like, Nope is very good in defining what the monster is, and I won't spoil it for you, but they say that animals have rules, and thus this monster has rules. And in a similar way, you know, lots of monster movies have rules. And Jason very much has rules, as the the way that Freddy Krueger very much has rules that are, you know, frequently bent or broken, depending on which sequel you're in. But the... uh, (laughs) But... Michael Myers has very few, very few rules other than he is material (laughs) on this plane of existence. That's about it. Like he is a physical body, so you can slow him down. But in every other, in every other way, he's almost, he's adjacent to a concept. He's almost a demigod. He is, he is not unlike a certain kind of undead. And the, bo- both in <laughs> the way that he is depicted and the way that he interacts with both the cinema viewer and those uh, other participants in the film, Gilman and, uh, and Michael Myers have a lot in common. I would not be shocked if there's somewhere that I did not find where John Carpenter, uh, a big fan of early sci-fi, could tell you that um, the the creature from the Black Lagoon was a major influence because this kind of just inevitable plodding stalker who understands the world that you are in in a in a more like visceral and atavistic way seems so yeah. baked into both of those monsters that I'm really happy yeah. to do this show and discover that connection that I would not have made otherwise, honestly, and it makes me like appreciate. Yeah other people's appreciation for Creature from the Black Lagoon because it it is for even us older millennials, you know, slid into the drawer of punchline movies from, you know, the the giant rabbits and giant bats and giant ants that are all going <laughs> to eat us because of r- radiation. Yeah. And if we throw enough Jack Black, you know, little plastic army men at them, maybe the world will, uh, you know, will survive <laughs> this onslaught. I think these guys are very sick. Um, Human beings think of like uh, traversing things in a completely different way that like a force of nature would because we have all of these um, our brains are hardwired for social Mm -hmm. interaction so like we don't just walk into a house and start (laughs) doing shit and know where shit Uh is. Like there's an entire process of approaching the house getting a means to the house approaching the house standing at the doorway of the house and then like a whole hoopla bullshit thing in the foyer (laughs) and Uh um 
like a force of nature monster like Michael Myers or the Gill Man or um, what I'm often scared of outside that turns out to be a deer would just walk yeah, into the sure. house. Like, yeah, a bear. <laughs> a bear is just a bear. For instance, is just like playing a a video game where it can use its nose as like one of yeah. those weird map detectors where it can tell where the thing it wants is and yeah. all of the random yeah. crap the doors the bedrooms the shotguns between that that no that flashing red node on you know it's like call of duty map and it is are completely inconsequential yeah. to the bear <laughs> the bear is just like there's a bunch of random yeah. crap between me and that that stack of papa john's pizzas and I'm gonna close. I'm gonna close that distance. Yeah. I'm gonna eat those pizzas, and and, and <laughs> Michael Myers and Gilman are very similar. You know, where Michael Myers is my yeah. my like weird hot sister that I hate for some reason that even this presenter of this show is not quite sure why is over that over yonder a hundred yards, and I'm gonna go stab her. And like that's it. Like that. Like the yeah. Michael Myers has like yeah. one pin <laughs> dropped on his PUBG yeah. map where he's going like I'm like Jamie yeah, Lee Curtis is over there. Jason, I'm a getter. Yeah, Jason can be stopped by by a door or um or like obstacles. And and Freddy Krueger would not only be stopped by them, he would interact with them and like yeah, use well because. Well, like things that would be put in Freddy Krueger's way, things that would be put in Jason's way, things that would be put in Dracula's yeah, well, way. Yeah, Jason like would be an entire ordeal. Ja- yeah, just Jason like and yeah. Freddy Krueger have totally different motivation sets. You know, Jason is looking yeah. for um, teenagers and other people that have joy based off of the pleasures the pleasures of the flesh. Like essentially, Jason is yeah. anti teenager. Um, but that's a, that's yeah. for another episode. I don't want to get a, a run, unroll all of that. Yeah. Good for him. Ah, yeah. I mean, there's a reason that he culturally exists and that he persists through time in a way that everybody enjoys. Cause, uh, everybody hates teenagers cause they suck. And, uh, yeah. and, and that's what, yeah, J- and that's what suck. Jason's and, about. But- He's about eliminating that whole like sticky business. To jump back into something before I absolutely, uh, Go off on teenagers. <laughs> uh, how how did Julie Adams speak? Because I have something in mind about what her speech would sound like. She has a very she has and a f- kind of very pleasant generic. Like she's not doing that mid Atlantic high waisted like uh, received speech yeah. bullshit. You know she's not doing she's not doing Baltimore Vincent Price crap. She's kind of doing it's an okay. extremely extremely soft, pleasant, lovely, um, like, 1950s white lady. I'm sure you scared all the fish away. If the deputy's working, doctor, the fish won't hear a thing, believe me. It's real. it's not okay. affecting, like, hey, I'm just one of the boys, you know, sn- you know, snap suspenders. It's, it's not doing, it's not doing, you know, New yeah. York apartment hunting, um, you know, like liberal lime with a twist bullshit. It's just, it, I would, it's both lovely and extremely <laughs> generic. You know, watch the, you watch early Jennifer Connelly movies yeah. and you're like, 
where is this human being from? They're, they're you know, they're, pu- they're pucked yeah. out, plucked out of the tree with the other high elves. And she seems very similar yeah. in that way, or she doesn't seem to be from a place. Okay, that's kind of what I seems thought. To be a, she seems to be like a Twilight Zone mannequin that's come to life yeah. in a department store. Yeah, because I, I was picturing her surrounded by Hepburnian um, women and her just like, like kind of blushing away going, oh dear, while they're all talking yeah, this... about rather rude things and how other things interact with other things and how it's all just simply maddening. <laughs> no, I, there, I mean, and and then like, her herself um, shying away from it, saying like, "Well, I don't know anything about that." The, no, yeah, Julie Adams has. I think that one of the reasons, one of the top three reasons, honestly, that this movie is so culturally profound is that it really during the during the heyday of the Hollywood male gaze there were a lot of little boys who would later become incredibly powerful filmmakers that saw this movie and were like holy shit and because <laughs> she has this extremely unaffected you know non she's like she is the definition of an uh, of like a 1950s gorgeous girl next door vibe where she, you, she's plausibly normal yeah. but specifically beautiful. Yeah. And depending on the scene and what you do with it, you can really pull it in either direction. You know, she has like actual human being eyebrows that you can see from across the room. Yeah. She has normal brunette hair, which is both fantastic and average. She is like every single like affect and proportion. And I hate to be the person that is like right now encompassing the mid 20th century male gaze in explaining this, but (laughs) it is crucial to understanding the, the, profundity of the film itself to its audience at the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? So in a very like bedrock way, I think if, if Stephen King was seven or 12 or 15, I haven't done the fucking boomer math. Whenever he saw this movie and Guillermo, De, Guillermo del Toro was this old and yeah. Igmar Berg and Igmar Bergman, who supposedly watched this film every day on his birthday for his whole life watches yeah. this. There's one lady in it. There's not two. There's not yeah. one and a half. There's yeah. not 1.5. There's one fucking lady and a whole bunch of scientists with Winchester rifles and scuba diving kits just like wandering around, like talking about what what should be done now because they know better. Yeah. And she is kind of this um, perfect platonic ideal of a lady who is helpful and beautiful and doesn't know too much. Yeah. But is is both very desirable and also extremely modest and reasonable. Like she yeah, she that's... manages to be a poster girl and a girl next door effortlessly without appa- apparently trying at either of them. Yeah, it would seem to be me without having seen the movie, I would I would guesstimate that she would be 60% of the movie. And then it would be 20% scientists and hunters and 20% monster. Yeah, I, it's about, it's about right. You know, it's kind of that if you plucked her out of it, you would have this kind of homo social (laughs) outpost 31, you know, Kurt Russell with the thing. Apparently we all have AIDS 
why is there no why are there no dames in this flick thing going yeah, on yeah. right <laughs> and honestly the film doesn't have a thing that it's about if you take her out because the film yeah. really is about her desirability otherwise the monster doesn't make any fucking sense yeah you know what i mean like uh, only because she is in danger does do the you know, ostensibly, these guys are all fucking scientists that should have a scientific motivation, but it doesn't yeah. have a an emotional resonance. That would just be, it would be academic and austere. You know what I mean? It would be our friend Charlie in the middle of fucking Mexico, like picking up weird rabbits and going, hey, weird rabbit, what are you doing? Like, that's <laughs> like, it would just be, it would be like, just, it's that if there's not a beautiful dame in crisis. <laughs> So the beautiful dame is essential. There is no, like, there is no film without the beautiful dame because it's, yeah. it is understood as a beauty and the beast problem, which is, you know, yeah. also not, not uh, uh, a, it's only, it's barely a hop and a skip and a jump from a Phantom of the Opera problem. Whereas yeah. if you don't, if nobody steals the dame, there ain't no yeah. fucking plot, right? I, I um, would argue that um, a modern remake of this movie could have the creature not infatuated with the woman because like the creature would probably see like well she's not even protected by scales she doesn't have any fins (laughs) it's disgusting look at the no fins on that one well, it's comp- yeah. I mean, what, what you're yeah, and and you know, and the thing that the kind of thing that you're bringing up this the scaly, viscous reality of it is the kind of thing that Del Toro yeah. handles in Shape of Water. Is you know, like, well, now you're trapped yeah. in a bathtub. Like, do you you know do you have erections? What like how long has Doug Jones have to be in the? Ha, how long has Doug Jones been trapped in this costume? Should someone get him a sandwich? You know, <laughs> like, um, like is this a Hellboy yeah. movie? I forgot what's going on. I shouldn't yeah. have smoked this. You know this this have, dank have joint before seen, watching this movie. Have you seen the Cabinet of Curiosities yet? I have actually. Did you? I have see seen the Guillermo's first three episodes when he has lost his damn mind. I love his intros. It is my <laughs> it is my current re- is is my is yeah, my current reason for living. I just want a show that's oops all intro of no show. Like I love the show. It's yeah. very good. It's very good. In the time but I just want him to planes. wander around and pick up weird fucking figurines and put them in a weird house for <laughs> ninety minutes. Yeah, he says in a time before planes, but after trains, when people began to travel. <laughs> They take with them their cabinets of curiosities. Fucking what? <laughs> Sometimes it'd yeah. be hidden in no. furniture. <laughs> don't don't get confused. After trains, before planes. What yeah. is there? What is yeah. it? What's confusing about that? When people started to travel, <laughs> it could hold anything like a set of keys or a Fiji mermaid. <laughs> I cannot not stare at that Fiji mermaid the entire what I want to say 280 frames that it's on screen. Yeah. So I'm like, if you don't give us a Fiji mermaid episode, <laughs> I am gonna crawl out of my tube television VCR combo yeah. that I had in 1994 and and choke you to death wherever the fuck you've. I, he's from Mexico, right? I'm, I'm gonna oh, crawl I'm sure, down actually. there. I'm going to get into a car with Brian Cranston and Mulder and Scully and all those fucking freaks from that episode. We're going to go down there and shake it out of you, you son of a bitch. Yeah. Cough up Ed, that Fiji mermaid 
Like the like fucking dad from Poltergeist 2. Every time he makes something and I watch it, I realize this is my favorite guy. I, f- I forgot that Guillermo is my favorite guy. <laughs> he's so he's so good. I love how thick his crazy glasses are because I'm like, yeah. if I if I didn't have two LASIK eye surgeries, that, my glasses would be that thick too. Yeah, you like, know what was missing from all of his other movies was him. <laughs> yeah, he's fantastic. <laughs> I I love his accent because I know I know Mexican people. They don't have that accent. What the fuck is that I know. Accent? I don't know what but his accent I, is. It's I, awesome. Yeah, no, it's it's weird. It's like he had like like there's a, a Alfred Hitchcock humunculus that yeah. he has like sliced <laughs> himself open and you know like fed it a bunch of like hair of virgins from the 1930s and shoved it into his gut and sewn it back up and now he speaks half like 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 Alfred Hitchcock and half like the original Guillermo and has to yeah. get these voluminous wool suits and he's gonna pull out his fucking penguin watch that's on a chain and go like oops it's murder 30 time to t- introduce another show and he yeah. comes out of a fucking Mexican cuckoo clock drinks a like a like a, a bottle of port and introduces a movie with a weird little figurine and you're like why is any of this normal everybody this is, no no I need a I need an hour-long explanation for this intro, let alone the show about the guy that gets eaten by the fucking rats. Like, yeah. I can't, only, I don't have the mental fucking capacity to deal with the rat-eating guy. I have to rewind the tape. Rewind the yeah. tape. Hey, man, nice shot. I'm confused. Yeah, I, explain all of that Guillermo <laughs> shit that just happened, because I have way more yeah. questions about that than the fish man in the bathtub. Wait a second. I don't know why. I don't know why. He's like a nice man. I do, oh, he's I, awesome. He's, he's great, but I just want I want a a channel, a nonstop twenty four hour channel of just Guillermo del Toro introducing things. Yeah, and just like yeah. it's just it, like like Alfred Hitchcock style, you know, the night gallery style, you know, Rod Serling style, just wearing suits, telling yeah. me why things are good, and then as soon as the thing comes on, I just skip to the next one. That's just my, that's all I care about at all. So, yeah, so Guillermo del Toro introduces an episode of a show starring Tim Blake. Tim Blake Nelson. Yeah, and, and the, and the craziest person that you remember from it is Guillermo. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Also, have you noticed, I've only watched three of them, so I've only seen the first three, so don't spoil anything after that. But the one with, okay. the one, and also, this is double, triple spoiler alert. If you have not watched Cabinet of Curiosities, run, don't walk to your Netflix and just yeah. do it, because it is so good. But I'm going to tell you that without going into detail about the plots, the three that I have watched, yeah, the movie gets about... In each case, the film gets about, you know, they're they're formatted to about an hour, but without, like, rigorous, you know, timing. They get about 40 minutes into each one where you're like, hey, yeah. this is kind of fucking weird. And then each of them just fucking bottle rocket shoots way into Crazy Bats land. We're like, this is, whoa, this is way, I don't know, this already happened twice, but it is way worse based off yeah. of everything else that had previously happened. Like, it's, it's it, I thought it was going to be bad, but it is like, like Cthulhu eating me from the inside and devouring my nightmares bad. Like it yeah. is, it is, it is, it is double plus ungood, man. It is well, super not even reasonable. What you just described only intensifies. So you're going to love it. I mean, 
ba 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 ba. I'm loving it as it is. The next so, one you um, said you've only yeah. seen three. Yeah, I've seen three. Oh, the next one. You're going to love the next one. (laughs) So in order, they are... I can't even remember what the fucking first one is. The first one is... Lot 36, um, Graveyard. Oh, yeah, the first first one is is Tim Blake Nelson with the the storage units. And then it's rats, and then it's the autopsy. Those are the ones that I've seen. And each one of them... Uh, after the first one, I was like, okay, I, I think I gotta be, make sure that I'm, my fucking nuts are strapped in so they don't like yeah. fly off whenever yeah. I watch these. And I was right. And Chris, my partner is next to me and she's like, this is really bad. I'm like, what the fuck happened in the last episode that you were prepared for really bad? <laughs> like, like, yeah. Um, you know, it, and it's really grabbing at the sphincter fears of like, demons and claustrophobia and monster and yeah. fucking animals that will eat you piece by piece. I mean, it's, it's not, he's not pulling his punches with these stories. They're really getting it. The, the thing, the thing that's really, uh, worth like, uh, episodes five and six shoot straight into a Massachusetts accent that is so watchable and hilarious to listen to. I love it so much. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> like, good. Well, I'm yeah. definitely. I mean, I think there's eight of them. I'm. It's not going to be long before I'm through all of them. So we'll talk about it yeah. more next time. All right, and now becomes the point of the show where I have to ask you, Gavin, is oh the Gill yeah. Man, aka the creature from the Black Lagoon, bitchin' Van Art. Is it? Is it? Is 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 it bitchin' Van Art? And the and yes, yeah, yeah. It is, yeah. It goes I mean, right up there. Yeah. In, in, de- in definitely consuming this, uh, it it immediately, in, in actually watching the film, it really flipped from me, you know, and definitely having context for it, like you know, knowing about the, the the people that it has affected so much, it, it helps. But you you can see why it is so culturally uh, a part of this necessary nexus. Of like, yeah. d- like this is scary for good reasons, and I know it looks silly. Yeah. I know it looks silly, but yeah. I don't. It, but it looks silly the, in a in a very great and important way. Yeah. Well, the the concept, the the icon iconographic um, <laughs> aspect yeah. of this uh, segment, where we propose if something is bitch and van art or not, as as every applicable way to the concept creature from the black lagoon is a definite yes because yeah, it's absolutely. got history I mean, it's yeah. got intricacies it's got um it's got like artistic detail if you're drawing it onto a van you're gonna have to pay attention mm-hmm, to what mm-hmm. you're doing it's got yeah. all that all everything that you could think of that would be involved in bitchin' van art. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and if you doubt us, I just dare you to go onto eBay right now and type in yeah. Creature from the Black Lagoon. It, it could and, be surrounded by and, 80s metalheads with their boomboxes. Yeah, and, it is It is. It is so such a visually... Um, it, it's such a, a potent visual icon, and it is for good reason, and it... It, it, it has a, a profound effect on culture and it just fucking looks interesting. They did a good job, particularly Millicent Patrick did a, an incredible job developing something that, yeah, it's, it's different than how we would do it now. You know, you go and yes. you look at the, yes. even the monster squad version by friend of the show, Fred Decker. 
like it. Good job. My name is Horace. If, if you yeah. look up the Monster Squad version of the Gill Man, they specifically call the call him the Gill Man to avoid having any copyright conflict with the Universal property. But that version, I I recommend you look it up because in that version, he's not on screen very much, but he's fucking scary yeah. as hell. You know that that's a very '80s version. You could take that version and port it to 2022; it would look scary as fuck. So yeah, realize that in 1954, 1955, 1956. That that monster looked as good to them as, you know, the Gill Man of Monster Squad, which is admittedly from like 86 or whatever the fuck, looks in that period of time. And you could drag that here, give it a little CGI shimmer and whammo blammo, you're scared as fuck. You're, you know, you Guillermo del Toro could introduce a little fucking figurine of it and, and, you know, like (laughs) terrify your nards off. Sometimes hide it in furniture. (laughs) <laughs> yes, Wolfman's got nards. <laughs> so anyway, yes, he is yes. fiction fan art. Yes. And what do you think of when you see this picture? Oh, that's a Jurassic Park promo. Oh, really? Right? Shit. Yeah. <laughs> looks like a, I mean, I mean the joke is okay. it looks like a fucking Gap ad. Yeah. It looks it looks like the it looks like the new sale from somebody that has sales at Target. But yeah, yeah I it's, don't know. I, it's Jeff Goldblum. I pick this. Yeah. It's Sam Neill. Jeff Goldblum, Sam Neill and Laura Dern all standing in gap clothes with gap poses um behind a gap white background. Yeah, I mean gappy. I mean if you were to memify it you were you could say I'm going to tell my kids this was pulp. You know yeah. what I mean? Like there's <laughs> Uh, like that, like you know what I mean. And That's like, good because I mean Jeff Goldblum is even yeah. kind of like at various times not not doing kind of like a Jarvis Cocker yeah. like uh, dun dun dun, oh, uh, uh, mm, mm, yeah. you know like oh, um, tall ooh, guy, I'll, t- I'll like retired tall guy with big glasses. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Ooh. Ooh. If we created a meme that caused Jeff Goldblum to do kind of like a William Shatner version of any song from different class. No, let me get very specific. Uh, um, either Disco 2000 or... Common People. Yeah, Common People. Or yeah, Common People. I want to live um, <laughs> like uh, Common, common uh, People. I want to do what um, whatever what, uh, <laughs> Common whatever, People uh, do. Ooh, uh, 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 common People do. <laughs> uh, uh, we would a, win... A call from your uh, father could stop it all. <laughs> <laughs> we would ring the bell of the strength test of the internet at the county fair. I like that. that I, I, regardless of any Anything that we have done with this stupid fucking show about tentacle monsters, I need that to exist, y'all. So, yes. Gavin and I are going to be Jeff doing Gold. some some very weird promotions on YouTube soon. If you're seeing this on YouTube, get at Jeff Goldblum. He's probably on Twitter or his intern is. I'm sure he doesn't do it himself. You know, get at fucking apartments.com or whatever yeah. the shit and get him. Start covering pulp songs, Jeff. Yes. Make it a thing. You're from Pittsburgh. You're in the Yunzer zone. We're on Team Jeff. <laughs> Make it happen. Jarvis uh, versus Jeff all day. And that brings us to the end of our time with you, dear reader. Until next time, when we deliver you another batch of beasts, bullywogs, and bowls of flesh-eating dessert fluff. 
And if you'd be so kind as to tell a friend or support us by throwing Oops All Monsters a five-star review on iTunes or whatever format you listen to us on, that really does help. Uh, the YouTube channel Gavin Longshanks will probably have Oops All Monsters content soon, so check that out. Ooh, very nice, very nice. Share an episode on your favorite social media and hit up our Instagram for the images that go along with each episode. Comment on the Instagram. Uh, tell us the monsters that you want us to cover. Um, you can even email us the monsters that you want us to cover. Um, you can also email us stories, like role-playing game stories. We're still trying to put that together. Uh, the email to send all of those recommendations and stories to is oopsallmonsters at gmail.com. It's oopsallmonsters, one word, at gmail.com. And if you want to toss a coin into the potion fund, we'd really appreciate it. You can hit us up with a one-shot contribution at paypal.me slash oopsallmonsters. Or if you're feeling really froggy, sign up at patreon.com slash Oops, all monsters. Lastly, I have to thank my wonderful friend, yeah, my wonderful friend Katie, for our incredible theme song. Her work as part of the duo The Darling Kathleen's can be found on YouTube at The Darling Kathleen's. And with that, I have been Hess. And now I have been Gavin. That was weird. And we have been... <laughs> Um, down here Oops. in the fucking water for like four goddamn minutes. All, all black macaroons. <laughs> I like that. Okay. <laughs> Just cut it. Cut it out.